0: This is the Dynasty Strategy Hub podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro. Here's my co-host, Dave Sanders. Our goal in this podcast is to focus on the strategy aspects of Dynasty football. We want to provide a great resource of easy-to-digest pods with some great people from the fantasy industry. Dave, why don't you introduce our guest this week? uh yeah we're thrilled to welcome on
1: two guys from rso that i've worked with really closely over the last couple years matt goodwin and luke patrick they're both writers over at rso host the um all about reality podcast which has been up for about a year now really good content on rso guys welcome to the pod
2: thanks a lot dave it's good to be here andrew appreciate it looking forward to meeting with you talking over some dynasty strategy
3: yeah, I'm equally excited. Um, re- re- really, it's been a, it's a been a pretty good run for us and um, ready to jump into whatever questions you have. Awesome. Um, yeah, well, RSO, for those that aren't familiar, Reality Sports Online
1: um, is a contract-based Dynasty format. Um, I actually discovered the league when Andrew, uh, my co-host, sent me a link to the YouTube video, and we were kind of blown away by it because we'd done Keeper Leagues, we'd done Dynasty, but never... Salary cap format where you're bidding in a live auction with other owners, um, working against salary cap ramifications, tags, and you know whatnot. I guess we'll start here with Luke. So, how did you come across RSO, and you know, what factors about the format led you to go beyond just you know being a player of the game, but actually being a writer and a podcast host about RSO?
2: So credit where credits due on this. One of my best friends and uh, the commissioner of my home league. That's going into its 20th season next year uh actually looked deeper and for the guys that the the basically like any home league there's about six guys that take it seriously six guys that just come for the beer and the and the wings and uh and those of us that were taking it more seriously decided to get after it and look around for whether it be a dynasty or a keeper format we'd, we'd experimented a little bit our home league had moved to auction and basically this commissioner found RSO. same deal, sent us the link. We were really impressed with it. We started playing it. Um, we... We, he and I basically took it upon ourselves to recruit the rest of the league. And so I reached out to guys that I had lost touch with from high school. And as it is something that builds year to year, I used it really as a tool to leverage guys who I knew who were good at sports and thoughtful about their analysis of sports and friends that I'd lost contact with and tried to combine that. And so, and basically used it as a tool to like really build together again. And it was, it was awesome. And I, it is met and exceeded all those expectations and i'll I'll allude a little bit more to the writing later but i'll kick it to you goody but that's how i got into rso and kind of never looked back i thought right now now i've kind of diminished my participation in other formats as i've invested more heavily in rso my my
3: my story is actually actually very similar to luke's i would say i think um, you know, the name credit where credit is due also Mark Pesavento, who's been on our podcast before formerly of the NFL and, and Mark, um, you know, has been all through the digital sports side of things. And at the time was at USA today. And we were, you know, we had done ESPN dynasty leagues together where it was kind of like, Hey, I've Adrian Peterson. I'm just going to keep him perpetually, basically, you know, keep your top three guys and not much strategy in it or, you know, we started to get into the creative stuff that nuance you see on reality sports online with like, Hey, I don't have any capable guys. I'm going to trade my 10th round pick for, you know, Greg Jennings or Aaron Rodgers at the time, you know? So, but it was, it wasn't very complex or, or like we're, we're seeking something kind of bigger that, you know, had a lot more game theory and strategic elements and, and I, I think through like Mark and Ryan Benini working on the sports side, you know, the fantasy sports side of of USA Today Sports. I think that those guys were, you know, guys who kind of found founded, you know, Reality Sports Online, kind of the the premise of it. And and we were drawn in immediately with the salary cap aspect and everything, you know, very NFL like and the franchise tags. And so we started we started our league in in 2013. And it's been, you know, a great experience. I've added leagues since. And, and like Luke said, I, I do have, you know, a, a little trouble playing on some other platforms or some other, you know, in, in some other formats now because I think that, like, this kind of ticks most of the boxes I'm looking for.
2: Yep. And uh, as to, like, how I got writing for it, fun story. And, it, like, Dave, I know it's been fun being in the Writers League with you. Andrew, you'll appreciate this. I'm sitting there watching the um, – the Patriots come back against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. And I'm just thinking about like, what I'm doing creatively with my life. And like, I have like a whole bunch of stuff going on with family and school. And I and I just decided to bang out like an initial email about my experience with RSO, send it to the guys when they, ha- after they had sent out one of their emails saying that they needed writers. So I'm literally writing my first RSO piece as I'm watching that Super Bowl. They get back to me, there's like, a, there's some connections to like some DC universities that like that um, Pappy and Stephen Wendell, the founders have, and basically it worked out. We had a nice rapport and that's what led to me writing. So it was, it was really cool. It was like a cool transition to like sit there, watch the Super Bowl, and then get an email the next day, kind of affirming my writing um, on for fun. I do, I do it a lot academically, but it was fun to like throw my hat in the ring to write for fun a little bit. So that's where I'm at with that.
3: And on my end on that, um, I, I I wrote for I went to Miami University undergrad and covered the college basketball team there and and wrote some columns and things. So I I think like I always kind of considered a hobby, I, you know, kind of went into the corporate side for, you know, business and finance or whatever. And so I was jonesing to get back to it a little bit and. Um, I had met Matt and Steven through reality sports online and just, we had a lot of back and forth just on rules and things as we were in one of the initial leagues and, and we have a lot of creative people in our league. So we always seem to be kind of pushing strategy. So I think we had a lot of interaction with those guys. And when, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl here in, in, in Seattle, I took my son to the parade and, and thought, you know, it was, it was kind of an all day ordeal and, and all that was, kind of, you know, pretty awesome. And I thought about, you know, I wanted to write about that experience in particular and then kind of transition it into something RSO-centric, which was, you know, the article was called, like, why I'm using my franchise tag on a defense, which seemed crazy, you know, at the time and, and what, and just how good that Seahawks defense, you know, was in, in like 2014. So I, I started writing that and then I started writing some strategy pieces as, you know, when I think I was the, the first writer, actually, I convinced Steven to do it and, and, and just kept going with it. And then, you, you know, Dave, you, you jumped on, Luke jumped on and everybody else and, and, you know, kind of pivoted to the podcast more just like, at, because it's a little more efficient for at least me me i I don't know you know on luke's side but i think it was just a good way of spreading our message wider and quicker and you know and, and one of our people in our podcast league, Devontae Cleveland was someone behind the scenes who was kind of pushing for a podcast. And I don't know that he knew that we kind of had it in the works, but I I had approached like, you know, Luke about it and it's pretty exciting. You know, Luke and I, I think just had good rapport from making trades in the writers league. And and that and then I just kind of started thinking, getting the wheels turning and how we could incorporate all the, you know, great writers and personalities and but make it RSO centric. And I think that's, you know, where all all about reality was spawned and and we we try very hard you know not to cross over too much either I, I know that we could probably have maybe some more popularity and we've been lucky to be on lists and whatnot of like followers under, you know under a thousand followers or whatever but you know we we do try to keep it reality sports online centric yeah i mean for me rso has become my favorite way to play
0: uh, i think once you get into a league you really get into the nitty-gritty it's hard to go do other formats like I said, you know, Dave and I have got probably nine leagues, and I think five of those are probably football at this point. But once you start doing RSO, it's hard to be like, oh, let me just go back to my regular Dynasty League on MFL. Like, oh, well, they're just it's not as engaging for me. But, you know, we've talked in our first couple episodes about how the Dynasty key format's really grown in recent years. Uh, so question for each of you, and I guess we'll start with Luke, is what do you think aided most in the growth?
2: So I thought about this. And again, a good question that you put out there, I would say most succinctly that with the growth of the ability for us to keep in touch with people that we want to keep in touch with, especially over expanses of time and space, we want to build something together, right? Like if you think about, I mean, to some extent, I don't want to belabor a metaphor, but it's kind of like, like, ever since we were little, we like doing stuff with our friends. And this is like, to me a little bit, like Dynasty is a little bit like playing Legos with my friends over a long period of time, right? Because like we're, we're building something together, we're like putting the pieces together. And now I can do that across the country with buddies that I don't normally see. I have cause to text them without like the socially awkward, like, I miss you, man, though. I like work that into my text, especially if I want to trade from them. And uh, like, and these are the kind of things that I do. And so I think the, the increase in availability of contact and ease of of kind of um yeah ease of communication has really aided the growth of dynasty especially as we all enjoy playing these things together and like and frankly it is it's cool it's just like great to build community that word gets thrown around a lot but i found that to be true in dynasty in a way that perhaps is not the same in redraft as you as you physically move further away from your friends
3: and, and, and for me, it's it. I think it's really just the ability to participate in something that's bigger than yourself that is challenging and pushing the boundaries that uh, of where you're going as an as a GM and owner, whatever you want to call it, I think the the also kind of the the technology of the websites you know like the platforms like reality sports online and others you know has helped in that where i think a lot of these things in the past and especially probably more on the baseball side where there's a lot more development stuff and minor league players and more even more of a long-term focus i think you know now that you know i i think as as you kind of grow up and you're playing these things you you want the admin to be as seamless as possible you don't want to have to have you know your complete your computer monitor have a sticky note for everything you have to do to roll the league over to you know Oh, this person's keeping this pick, and then so they don't have an eighth-round pick the next year, or something like that. And when when you mix in like the auction principles of those types of things and everything else, and, and the community aspect, I, I I think I think that's I think it's really the desire to be challenged and put push boundaries, you know, across distance. I think the then it, then I think really just the growth in technology, you know, has aided in a lot of the stuff to make it you know, more, more customized and more seamless across a lot of platforms.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the community aspect does get talked about a lot and maybe it's cliche, but I think it really is true. When you see on Twitter, we can have these group chats like we do for the writers. Like we can all communicate that way, have offline DMS about separate conversations. It's just so easy. We don't have to do it through email. We don't have to ask for phone numbers. Um, to me, that's just a huge part of it. And, you know, you guys with your podcast, I think that's kind of the natural evolution that, these conversations are happening more and more over podcasts. I know myself, I listen to it on my commute home. I don't know I'm at the gym, anything like that. Um, it definitely gives me ideas going mm-hmm. forward. So I guess if somebody were to be maybe transitioning to RSO for the first time, just trying it out, I guess, what do you think might be, you know, a big adjustment for them coming from redraft, coming from maybe like a standard MFL dynasty?
2: We can start with Luke on this one. Yeah, so two different questions there, Dave. And I think you and Drew could probably speak a lot to the dynasty angle on this. I would say... My biggest mistake in transitioning in was I I viewed RSO primarily almost through the lens of Dynasty. And I think you have to be really careful not to, like, overemphasize the longevity that comes with with a traditional Dynasty league where you just own those players for life, right? Like, there is a lot more turnover and a lot more dynamism to the contract piece. And so I, I would say um invert that thinking for your first year in the league like like try to maximize right away big contracts for short-term players and then accruing value like you normally would in a dynasty league in terms of chasing upside plays and and high caliber wide receivers that are younger um and and those kind of things like in in short though i would say make sure that you you try to like you know, treat it more like redraft and you'll be able to take advantage of your league mates that treat it more like dynasty, which is what happened to me when all you guys uh, just abused me the first year of the, of the writer's league, despite me picking David Johnson in a historic season, I still finished last. And largely that was because I treated, I overemphasized and made some bad plays at wide receiver thinking that they were going to be, I was maximizing my longevity, which like, that's not my strength as a player. and, And I realized I made some mistakes there.
3: Yeah um I, on on my end I think there's a couple things I, I agree with every everything Luke said I think I think one 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 thing in general I think one Piece that's a challenge for people that maybe cause some hesitancy to join something like Reality Sports Alliance. The perceived time commitment with it, and I, I think that once you get by that initial auction, depending on how many teams you have in it, it is pretty long. You know, it, it is probably a good for four hours. You know, starting in the East Coast time, and you got West Coast people like me in it. It's it probably becomes even a little more challenging. You know, but it, but it's super fun. I, I think that specific to the To the platform and what people mistakes. I think one like kind of Luke said is you know people taking kind of the long term aspect of it and you know as opposed to taking a portfolio of contracts and how you can put together the best team. Like everybody's so focused on like hey what am I doing with my four year my three year contracts and and sometimes so much so that they're overextending at the beginning on guys that they may not believe in or guys that have a small a small sample size. Like if you're if you you know if you're going into a startup this year on this say in in rally sports online and and that'd be like the equivalent of putting like 40 million dollars a year in Dalvin cook for instance, who's who's shown great flashes. I'm not picking on him because he's a Viking and Luke likes the Vikings. But like, you know, like with with injuries and and, and other things, you know, do, have we really seen enough from him to warrant that type of price tag, for instance. So I so I think people people kind of get into that mix and you always see one or two teams that leave themselves kind of like unable to trade or they must trade right after a startup auction, you know, because they've overextended themselves. And then I think there's, on the flip side of that, I think there's folks who, you know, leave too much money kind of in the coffers at the end and, and just kind of have this perceived value of how, like where players will go. And, and then they're leaving some things, some assets on the table that probably, you know, that in hindsight, they probably would have liked to have.
1: Yeah, I think those are all good points. Um, just to add to that as well, from the, the dynasty landscape angle, the top receivers in you know, most dynasty leagues that keep players year over year, like Odell Beckham, his value doesn't change very much league by league, but in RSO, based on his contract status, based on the league dynamic, I've even found that some of my leagues, if they have the exact same settings, if you just have a different group of owners, the basically the priorities of those owners and kind of the way the... It works as like its own ecosystem. Well, you know, in some leagues, wide receivers cost way more than they do in other leagues or quarterbacks cost way more um, just based on the owners you have. So applying, you know, strategy like that has to be used like directionally, it can't be used um, as a matter of fact, as maybe it could be in regular dynasty.
2: I think that's I think that's very well said. And, and that's one of the cool dynamism pieces I was alluding to is that. There's a certain degree to which you can leverage massive contracts. Like, like all of us would want Odell Beckham Jr. on our team in a, fa- in a vacuum. But I think in, for example, I think of the writer's league, he's, he's costing you nearly like, uh, like an eighth of your cap or something. Right. Good. He's like, he's like some massive.
3: Oh, player. like 45 this year. Yeah. yeah. This the last year before year.
2: Right, which makes you more willing than, than you would probably ever as a Cleveland fight. Like, there's at least – so you're saying there's a chance you'll move him as opposed in Dynasty where he would just be sitting on your team ad infinitum at this point, right? Like, like that's really what it comes down to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, no, awesome stuff. Yeah, for
0: me, I think the biggest adjustment is that initial auction. Um, it's quick. It moves. If you haven't done a practice one or two, it can sneak up on you. So, coming from a standard – it was a regular dynasty. Doesn't have contracts involved. Like you can handle a quick auction, but now you start adding the salary cap and all those things. For me, was that was my biggest adjustment because you get really excited of hey, I can own all these players. Next thing you know, you've you know, like you said, overextend yourself or you spend a good chunk of your cap in the first about ten minutes, and then you have a four-hour ride of not doing a whole lot. Because uh, I think our initial one, my sixteen-team league. I think we did four hours the first night, stopped, and then came back and did another like two hours because it, it, it was quite a long deal. Um, but I'm gonna kick this one to you, Goody. What do you feel is a common mistake players tend to make in RSL?
3: Common mistake. That's a good. That's a good question. Um, I think one, you know, not not evaluating what guys are going to cost in their in their auctions and like doing some the prep work or the homework previous. I think is one I think that you know the valuation on rookie picks you know as as our own Nick Andrews has written about before it kind of can be all over the place too so I think I think that's something that gets that gets tricky especially in a in a trade market and I think that people some people I think a lot of people play the format are just kind of drawn into the you know the Devy rookie aspect of it so much that there's so much like novelty bias and you know so all those things that Dr. Renee Miller loves talking about um, from the Athletic. Like I, I think there's a lot of that, and and you know and, and people like my co-host do a wonderful job of exploiting that for their own benefit, you know, in the trade market. I'm not saying that those trades are necessarily going to be lopsided, but I, I think there's a lot of people who. You know, would rather have the shiny one point oh six than a guy like Golden Tate who just goes out and produces year year over year. So, I, I think in short, those are those are two things. And then, you know, I've seen owners like even come into like a league that's you know like kind of has some high, higher stakes to it and just not really like learn the system, like, you know, l- learn the league dynamics, learn the league life cycle, learn just even platform stuff. And, and so I, I think that, you know, you, you do have to, you know, you kind of have to dive in off the high dive on this and, and be, be committed from, from that point of view. And, and I think most people do do that.
2: Yeah, to build on what he was saying, I think um, one of the things that I learned and a common mistake that I made was that it was poor evaluation of the worth of a draft pick. And to give everybody a sense of this, right, coming from a normal dynasty league, again, that draft pick's pretty valuable because that player is part of your team forever. What happens in the life cycle of the RSO leagues is you're really the draft picks are your only chance at infusing top tier talent. Uh, as you move forward right so they become really valuable especially as kind of particular position runs dry up value at a certain position in a league things like that so I um, I would say that is true and the other one that I would add for anybody listening and that's coming to RSO you have a certain number of multi-year contracts which is cool but don't underestimate the value of those 500,000 contracts that can go on and off your team with no penalty towards your cap. And I think, I, I think I, in like any dynasty player, there's a sense in which you, you dig in on your guy, you have flag players. There's, there's someone you're a truther on, and you just keep them sitting around on your roster indefinitely. Like CJ Proceis was that guy for me. And Matt's busy hanging out with him at like out in Seattle at like rehab centers, not, not drug rehab, but like physical rehabilitation centers. And uh, like, and I'm like, what, the, like, process was that guy but in in rso you can't afford that if you gave him a bad contract over three years you're far better off cutting him and using the versatility of those 500k contracts to pick up kind of like flyers mid-season and someone that could pop along the way in the season and i think that's an important thing not to mistakenly hold on to really bad players or contracts
1: yeah that's a great point um Good. You just want to touch on what you hit on there before about knowing, you know, preparing for your auction. I find a lot of times too, that people like say it's a super flex league and there are 10 quarterbacks available. That would be a lot, but say there are 10, a lot of owners may not realize the exact number that they are. And then when it gets down to one, two or three left, the prices like skyrocket from what they would have been earlier in the auction. Um, so it's just interesting to see. I like to have lists ahead of time of here are the tiers, of the players I want. And then as soon as a tier goes, I know, it, you know, ahead of time that it's going to be going away. Um, So we talked about some of the negative aspects there. I guess, what do you think makes a successful GM? Like, is there a common thread you're seeing across your leagues? Let's start with Luke here.
2: Um, As with most things, right? Preparation for sure. To give you a specific, and to give everybody a specific example, this year, Dave, you had both 101 and 102 in our rookie draft, did you not? And so I was looking ahead to our draft and we are in a super flex league. It's only a 10 teamer. And I looked and I went through one of the, best pieces of prep that I did is that like every team has at this point now, cause you, of course, nabbed Kyler Murray, like really well, I kind of like walked away. I was, I was praying that you he fell from those one and two knew that he wouldn't. And you, you rightly picked him. And I'm like, now Dave and everybody else has at least two like really exciting options at quarterback in our league. And I'm like, that might diminish in going into our fourth year of our league now that might be diminish how much people are willing to spend on quarterback at auction because now everybody has options that they're comfortable with starting already on their team and so that that played into my own strategy at at the rookie draft i didn't have to chase one of those lower tier guys like daniel jones or something because i was like you know what i can go get one of the four or five guys that are open because there's only one or two people me included that really need a quarterback right like i'll be able to get one of the five and i won't have to chase like that along the way and so that's what i would say more than anything is much like a good poker player, don't just think about your hand, but look at the hands, that the hands that your players are playing with or the other GMs are playing with are right there in front of you. Go look at their roster and appreciate that they're smart men and good players or smart women and good players and make sure that you're like, OK, like, here's what they need. If I was them, this is what I'd be doing. And then prepare that way. What about you, Goody?
3: Yeah. What, what makes successful so GM? I, I mean, I think for me, I mean, you have to be somewhat malleable. And number one, you have to be able to have enough self-awareness to know like, you know, your process when, when you're making mistakes, I think. So like if sticking with someone too long, giving, giving up on, giving up on someone maybe that, that you shouldn't have. Um, I, I mean, for me, I think like, uh, I think I one of the biggest mistakes I've made as, as a GM in in our so is is on the rookie side of things. I feel like sometimes I I I'll write someone off because I want them to hit right away and I think you have to sometimes take a more patient approach depending on you know where you where you are with things. So especially with you know four-year contract I mean I I, I my still my tendencies aren't to grab a tight end because I think that by the time they become useful it's it's tough in, in, in that way, especially in the first round. But I, I think I've made some mistakes on player on players because I was so antsy that I, I had a need and I needed someone to produce right away versus take take you know taking a more patient view or hey I, I why do I want to own two receivers in dynasty on the same, on the same team, for instance, where like the, the models have proven the Rams, the Vikings, you know, et cetera, you know, multiple pieces can thrive in the same offense. So I I think that, you know, you have to be able to be self-aware to, to learn from, from those things I think to be successful the same time, I think you really have to, you know, know the landscape of, of your league and the other GMs and, and, and what their thinking is what their tendencies if they have any tendencies are like like I'm comfortable enough with Luke now that I know that like you know he it's all about assets and and things so like, he may trade for a player and I could look at him and be like yeah I don't think he's keeping that guy I, I you know here's here's why or, or whatever so like I, I think that it's it's definitely important to kind of constantly like respect the field that you're playing with. And, and then also I think that, you know, you have to have the realization of when, you know, when your team's really a contender and when it's not. And, and I think when it is, you got to go through that, you know, that cycle kind of, it's more of like an NBA type thing. You know, I think in that case, like when, when you're in a championship window, then you got, you got to figure out ways to be aggressive in that
0: we had leo on live last in our, in our previous recordings um he talked about the notebook so you kind of hit it right on the head it's like you got to know your league you've got to know a little bit whether you have how whether you go as far as how leo does or whether you kind of go just knowing the general basics about who you're working with so in terms of general strategy how, how have you each kind of evaluated the process you take so like I know, I know in other words like luke you do some rankings for fantasy pros so One would hope that you're good at player evaluation. Um,
2: I would say you probably are. So how do you kind of continually evaluate your
0: process for success and improve upon
2: your weaknesses? Well, you're kind enough to say so, but I will say that would be the first step is I recognize at this point, multi-year success in evaluating the running back position has made me confident there. But my own relative weakness in evaluating the the tight ends and wide receivers that are going to pop and certainly like – and perhaps not valuing in fantasy where quarterbacks should go appropriately has made me defer to experts that I trust. Right. And that's the best part of my process. I would say like, I, I, I'll I'll always do my own running back rankings without looking at anybody else's, but what I'll do is start from an aggregate of three or four experts, um, on their wide receiver rating, and see see like where I'll, i'll do a list of my own first and then like compare those across those three or four experts that i trust and see if like mine is an outlier anywhere that'll force me to reevaluate it and um and then see if like contrasting with each other like whether or not they there's any like significant outliers and then go back and look at their process and 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 reevaluate my own so that's kind of how i build my rankings i i just I just do my own running back rankings. There's a few guys that I'm higher on this year that like that you guys will see that play in play in leagues with me that I'm like really into like um, certain guys that are, are like probably I would take them rounds ahead of their draft position in a normal league and and for much more money at an RSO auction and yeah so that's kind of where I'm at with my evaluation at this point in my life.
3: Yeah, on on my, on my end, I I think that i think i i'm pretty good at looking at the receiver position i think i i kind of know what i want and i try to build my 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 model is really built on you know ranking guys of having you know one 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 kind of elite guy who just you know catches everything that that's thrown you know like a kind of like a fly trap that's anywhere in the radius and in can do lots of things with it. I, I like one one stretch the field guy typically in, in my receiving core and then the the guy in the middle is usually like some type of PPR guy like so an Edelman, a Keenan Allen depending on how how you go there. So I think that like receiver wise I have a pretty good feel based on kind of you know reading some people I like and and for me it's route running route trees are very important. So that's why that's kind of what drew me to a guy like Dante Pettis, you know, er, early on, because I think he has some Keenan Allen-like qualities, plus some speed. So I I think I think I have that process down. Um, In terms of rookies, I, I feel like I, you know a lot of times I'm, I try, I trade, I've traded picks a fair bit and it depends on whether I can get a guy that, you know, is, is multi, is multi-year that, that I like that I think has, you know, still a good trajectory and upside to, you know, as, as that's also established, you know, I'm not banking on a small sample size. So I, I think that that's my process on rookies. And then Q- QB and, and tight end, I, I think, are really league dependent. But I, I think one of the best things I'm able to do is pick up on the league scoring system and figure out ways that, you know, I can arbitrage from that where, you know, not everybody may be paying attention to it. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's be really hard to do in, like, tomorrow's Scott Fishbowl, for instance, you know, because I think those rules change a lot. I mean, I, I do – the quarterback scoring seems a little similar to something that – you know, I've been in leagues in the past. So I, I, I do think people are sleeping a little bit on that and that quarterbacks are going to be more valuable than maybe they have been in the past, but um, we'll see how that kind of all plays out because, you know, it, even if you're, you're doing mainly auction leagues, like there's still a late round quarterback element to it because you, you don't want to be the guy paying 25 million for a top 10 quarterback when someone else is paying 6 million.
1: Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess piggybacking off of that. So Negotiating trades in RSO Leagues is probably a lot more complex than other formats, whether it's Dynasty, Redraft, because you have to factor in those player contracts, your salary cap, uh, ramifications, whether you're contending or not, all those different factors. So I guess we'll start with you, Matt, here. What's been most successful
3: for you in like, initiating those trade talks? I, I think for me, it's kind of relationship building, basically. I, I think that I, I don't usually just send like blind trade offers most of the time. I think I'll give context to what I'm thinking about. And I'm also not, you know, even though I've won, trades before and Luke will probably laugh at this. I'm not necessarily trying to win trades. I'm trying to find something that, where I see the other person has a need and I have a need as well and, and, and see how that works best. But I, I think I can get pretty creative. Uh, You know, RSO has multi-team trading too, which is nice. And so I think recognizing kind of where people's in that, in that case, like it kind of communicating, like usually like Twitter, either Twitter DM or email or whatever else is depending on my relationship, like instant message, you know, on G chat or something, start talking there. Hey, I have this idea and, and, and here, here's, here's kind of the general things. What do you think? and, and, A lot of time like i'm not necessarily throwing my best thing out there right away but i'm kind of i'm not that far off from it you know sometimes i'm like so and so interests me like are you open to moving them and and like here's the pieces i was thinking and you know so i try not to insult anyone's intelligence most most of the time and sometimes people just come to me with something that I like and I'm, I'm quick to decide. I think that, you know, there's other times where I'll offer something and then I'll waffle on it and realize that it, Hey, it's not the best thing for me because I can be impulsive. So I think the communication is, is really the, the biggest factor. Also just kind of understanding the team you're trading with needs. Like if the team is like stockpiled at receiver and they have someone you want and, you know, and you view them as like keeping this receiver or something else, then you have to kind of understand what they need and not just throw things willy nilly. So I, I, I think that's, that's the start with me. It's always about kind of communication. If I have people's phone numbers and my friends, I'll try to talk to them on the phone, make it, make it more efficient because I think everybody's busy.
2: Yeah. Everybody's certainly busy. And like, like Goody and I said, we, we did build our rapport and our friendship largely around trades first. Um, Drew, you said you're in a ton of leagues with Dave, and Dave, you can speak to this. I tend to be just – I tend to just enjoy – like we're playing a game. Like I and, – and in all – across all my leagues – no matter how long the relationship guys have had with me, they laugh about how many trade offers I do make and how often I'm like engaged in it. And like, but, I, but that's the thing for me, if I'm playing a game, it's a good uh, release for me to like look over rosters and like try to analyze things. And yeah, I'll always reach out first. Like he says, sometimes I'll try cold offers if I think it gets a guy paying attention. Cause it gets all of us get a little excited when we see that trade offer thing in our email, I would imagine. And so, um, it, but yeah, I, I think basically I reach out with any way that I think will grab their attention and be most efficient, as, as Goody says. And then again, I'll try to put out what's pretty close to my best offer at first, but I, I like it when people play the game and, and make me think about my own roster or theirs in a way that I wasn't thinking about it before. And and so that's that's cool. And like, and Dave, you're particularly good at just being like, look, like I get what you're trying to do. And like, here's what my plan is, like you, you'll like, be clear. And then I'll be like, all right, I got to leave Dave alone for a while. Like, 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 <laughs> like, um, like, And, and that's, and that's fair. But again, we're playing a game, right? Like it's, and I don't think I'm going to like offend anybody by like, like saying, let's, let's do a dance for a minute. And if they don't want to trade, then I just move it on, keep it moving.
1: Yeah. Like you said, the communication aspects are huge. I think it's building that relationship so that, you know, when we're having those conversations, you kind of understand where the person's coming from. Um, so I've enjoyed our conversations on, uh, Twitter DMs and what, and I think that's really key and kind of not burning that bridge for the future. Um, I know in some of our, not as much in our football leagues, but some of our baseball leagues, sometimes people try to like sell to you and be like, this guy would be great on your team. And like, nobody ever wants to hear that. That's something I'd advise <laughs> against. Uh, how about you, Drew?
0: Yeah, you can't tell me how this benefits my team. Um, we're all, I'd like to think we're all, you know, adults and reasonably professionals and and can handle research and doing our own things. So for me it's one of those if you want to initiate a trade with me the easy way to do is give me something that's reasonably close um don't just hey i want I, I like these four guys what do you want for them because you know that now i'm doing all the legwork so i'm a guy that like if you give me something that's reasonably close i'll either tell you yeah we'll go with that even if i could probably squeeze a little more but uh, for me i just like to make it i don't say the whole dance but if the quicker we can move it along the happier i am just because between seven leagues everything else like i've got a child like there's I got a lot going on, so to spend 45 minutes to an hour on Twitter trying to work something out is a little much for me. But I think the whole big thing and really is communication, uh, whether it be through Twitter, whether it be through email, whether it be through uh, group GroupMe, has been really good for a lot of our leagues. Just some way to talk to somebody so you can hit them, say, "This is what I'm looking at." You know, I think uh, you know I've got some extra running backs. Looks like you might be able to use one. Here's a couple of guys I like. What do you think? Just an easy way to kind of get it going.
1: Yeah, I think having you know the DM conversations is good because you can look back at previous conversations. So if I go to Goody and keep asking him over and over about Odell Beckham and he keeps saying no, I should I should stop asking him because I should be able to see that. Um, so I think that's definitely one tip I'd give to newer players. That's going to wrap up part one. In part two, we're going to do more of a rapid fire format, uh, focusing on all types of dynasty, not just RSO. Want to thank Luke and Matt for coming on. Please follow them on Twitter, Luke at Fantasy Doc OC and Goody at Matt Goody Two. Uh, their podcast, All About Reality, is excellent. Please check it out. It's available on all podcast apps. Uh, thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to catching on the next one.
3: Game over.